Welcome and happy Friday. It's June 10th, 2016, and this is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here with Paul Brady, one of our editors, Dominica Lim, who is, Dominica, what do you do for us? Your community development manager, director. A little bit of everything, I call it. You do do a little bit of everything, as we'll discover here today. And Sebastian Modak, who is now a podcast veteran, superstar last week, talking about Europe and travel, um, and a digital editor for us. Shout out to Brett on the Pro Tools, here with us for one more week on the Pro Tools, and then he's going to be off roaming around the country, still editing for us. Sebastian's going to help him out while he's away. Um, And uh, the topic for the week is summer travel tech, so the things that we have seen that we have tried, that we've tested, or that we've just heard about that we are looking forward to or not looking forward to taking with us this summer. And, you know, I think a good place to start here is with perhaps the one thing that you really want to take with you, which is a camera, because you're going on vacation or you're going on some kind of trip and you're going to a new place. Paul, you guys reported in the magazine, the June, July, our summer issue, which is out now on the newsstands. Go get yourself a copy. It's lovely. We talked about it a couple times already. But you guys reported on a camera, a new Olympus camera that I thought was very reasonably priced. I thought it was very reasonably priced, too. So we called it the nearly indestructible camera, which to my mind is exactly what you want when you're on a trip, right? (laughs) You know, whether you're going to the beach, you're going hiking, you're going whitewater rafting, if you're... I mean, we're in summer travel season now, but if you're thinking about a ski trip or something like that where, you know, you might fall on your camera, you might drop your camera, you might get your camera wet. This new Olympus TG870 is basically what I like to call life-proof, you know, (laughs) so you can... (laughs) Also kid-proof, I would like to point out. Exactly. You know, this is sort of an indestructible camera in the way that I think most of our cell phones are not indestructible, right? Like you talk about how you're going on vacation, so you have to take a camera. And for a lot of us, that just means your cell phone. But I think it's nice in these sort of conditions where maybe you're going snorkeling, maybe you're going to the beach for the day, maybe you're going to jump off of a waterfall into a cenote in Mexico. Like, this is a camera that at 280 bucks, yeah, you might be a little upset if you lose it, but if it's not able to be destroyed, that will never happen, and you'll have all these great photos that you would never get with your cell phone. That's a really reasonable price, especially when you consider that if you are using your phone, even if you are trying to upgrade that phone photographing technology by adding one of those kind of add-on lenses that Sony sells, those go for about $200. So you could get just a whole new camera that's going to last a lot longer than either the lens or the phone for almost the same price. Yeah, and I love the idea, too, of just having a backup battery, right? Like, what if your battery goes out? Then your phone and, and by extension, your camera doesn't work anymore and you don't get all those shots? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. What was the model name again, Paul? It's the TG870. So it's a new uh, waterproof, lifeproof camera from Olympus. And do you know if it shoots video? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You couldn't have a camera that doesn't shoot video these days. I was going to say, these days you can't really do that. Yeah. And it has built-in Wi-Fi too, so you can, you're can you very able to share those moments and make all your friends back home super jealous. And FYI, it's on sale right now. It was two, it was two seventy nine ninety nine when we reported this out. Now it's on sale for two twenty nine ninety nine. Look at that. Wow. That's kind of amazing. That's like, you know, an incredible bargain for this thing. It's really starting to encroach on the phone space. They're really making a, a, it seems like they're making an effort to make an argument against the phone. It shoots full HD video, so 1080p. Not not 4K, but okay, that's fine. It's got the built-in Wi-Fi. It's got GPS and a compass, so it can, you know, uh, location stamp your photos and your videos. 
it's freeze proof to like 14 degrees in case that ever comes up. It's funny though, because I'm not freeze proof. So I'm not going to take it anywhere that's that cold, right? But check, but it's waterproof to 50 feet. So, you know, that's pretty significant. Crush proof to 220 pounds per square foot, I guess. So you can drive over it. Yeah. No, apparently. I don't know. I don't know I, if you I have no I idea if you can drive over it. Disclaimer, we don't know. I think the idea is like if it falls out of your hand, you know, it's it's okay. It yeah, can, it can hit the pavement and hit survive. The pavement and be fine. Yeah. But the Wi Fi is going to allow you to connect it to your phone or whatever, and it's going to mean that you can post your photos to Instagram, which is the big argument against cameras that don't have that feature. Yeah. And that's what's I think that's what's really interesting about sort of non DSLR cameras that are coming out now is that for them to even exist at all, like if you're not going to go buy a point and shoot unless it's giving you something that your iPhone or your Galaxy can't give you. So like here, that added utility of being just like totally indestructible is what the appeal is, especially for travel. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there are cases out there you can get for your phone, you know, from OtterBox and other manufacturers that, you know, say they'll make your phone waterproof. And I, I believe them if they claim that. But um, I think it's just nice to have a backup camera, a second camera, a camera you can give to your friends, right? I think a lot of us come home from a trip and you realize the only person you didn't get a photo of is yourself. <laughs> That's becoming less and less of a problem, right, as the selfie culture takes over. But, um, you know, having two cameras, being able to take one, like I said, you know, whether you're snorkeling or scuba diving or, or surfing or whatever, that's a cool, you know, opportunity to get images you wouldn't otherwise bring home. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Speaking of cameras, one of the things that we are hearing about and talking about all the time these days, it's kind of all over the media landscape is 360 video and VR. There are some consumer level cameras that have come out. I mean, I think even a year ago, year and a half ago, I can remember being at South by Southwest in 2015, I guess it was, and getting demoed the jaunt camera. And it was like this beast of a thing. And now, like I'm sitting here with one of these in front of me. It's the Ricoh 360. Rico, I, that may not be the model name, but it's a 360 camera. Ricoh Theta. Theta S. S. About the size of a cell phone, it, it looks yeah. like. It, I like to call it the candy size. It, it candy really bar is, size. It is yeah, candy bar yeah. size. It really is. And it's teeny tiny. And Dom, you actually took this on a trip and tried it out. I did. I recently went to Cuba and I took the Ricoh um, with me on my trip, and it was a lot of fun. I do have to say, it is kind of, it can be taxing to kind of switch between devices, so I have to take my photos on my smartphone, and then I have my GoPro, and then I have my 360 camera, so it is, you know, you kind of have to choose your, you know, adventure, if you will, under the devices that you're carrying with you while you're traveling, but the Ricoh Theta S is really great in that it is so small that you can carry it with you. Before you go on, though, like you just described three different things. you got your phone, you've got a GoPro, and you've yeah. got the Ricoh. Now, the Ricoh is like a specialty tool. It's the 360 tool, which I guess we can describe what that means to people for, for people who don't know, but sure. what are you doing with the GoPro that you can't do with your phone? Well, I think for me, the GoPro, I think the great thing about that is that it's waterproof mm. um, and it does come with sort of like additional gadgets that you can like put on your head and your arm and different places on your body so it makes it really convenient so you don't have to actually hold it in your hand which can be inconvenient while you're traveling especially on some of those adventures that you know you go on whether it's like cave diving or swimming or zip lining but yeah going back to the 360 the Rico, yeah. the Rico Theta S I just love that it's so small and easy to carry. I can carry it in my back pocket. And you do have to mount it to something if you want to get sort of a more high-level view of things. Mm. Did, you, so, did you do that? What did yes, you, what did so you put I carried it? a little tiny tripod. 
Um, so it's, it's about the same size of the 360 camera. Like a um, Gorillapod kind of thing? Yeah. I have so many questions about it. Okay, fire <laughs> away. Because that's actually the first time I'm seeing it. Look at it, it's tiny. Yeah, it looks like this? just like a little robot or something. It's wild. First of all, there's no viewfinder. Is it like a GoPro that there's no viewfinder? There's no monitor? Like you can't see what you're shooting necessarily until after the fact? Yeah, how does that work? Um, you can on your smartphone, but you have to be connected to Wi-Fi. Oh. So otherwise... How did um, that work in Cuba? <laughs> <laughs> Not very well. Not very well, I would imagine. But anytime I did have a chance to get Wi-Fi, I was viewing the videos, exporting them, downloading them onto my computer just in case anything happened to this. So there are some downsides that, you know, you do require Wi-Fi to be able to Can you to set export. up, like, local Wi-Fi with your, like, can you set up a hotspot with your phone? This actually is a Wi-Fi hotspot. Oh, it is a hotspot. Yeah. Oh, but it doesn't always okay. work, okay. especially when you're in Cuba. Mm. Okay. So, um... So, so yeah. does it have cells? Like, how does it create the Wi-Fi? It just creates, like, a local Wi-Fi so that you can connect to it? Yeah, just like any other Wi-Fi hotspot. Okay. It serves as that. Okay, got um, it. Now, here's my question about this thing. What does a 360-degree photo look like, right? Yeah, like, why, yeah. what, what, are you, what are you looking at in the picture that's so much more remarkable? Or maybe it's not more remarkable than a regular picture. I don't know. It has these two lens, right? Okay. Um, so one on either stitches, side, right? Right, yeah. and it stitches them together. So it also takes a video. So once you record the video, you download it, you can actually view it and, and sort of move your finger around 360 up, down, around you, behind you, um, below you, above you. So it kind of gives you a sense for this like sense of presence. Yeah, um, yeah, that you don't get with a sort get. of static photo. Exactly. That's very cool. And so the difference between 360 and VR, what is that, what is that difference? I think... This is a the, subject of a lot a of debate. Very right? fine it's semantic, line. right? Well, yeah. no, but I mean, in terms of the actual experience, like it feels to me like the way that this is settling down is VR is something that you get immersed in. You put on headphones or goggles or whatever, and it sort of takes over your vision kind of entirely. Whereas 360 is what you call it when it's more or less the same thing. So, like each of these lenses, I think, are more or less an, a 180, and it stitches them together to give right. you the 360. And when you view that on a two-dimensional surface that you can move around in, but you are not immersed in. So it's not like you're inside the thing, but you're moving around in it. So it's like when you take the New York Times app and you look at it on your phone and you choose, they give you those two modes. One is I've got the goggles and I can look at it. And the other one is I'm just looking at it on my phone. But when you look at it on the phone, you know, you can kind of see that 360 view just through the window of the phone screen instead of it being all around you. So is it, yeah. I mean, is it just like Google Street View or something? It is kind of like Google Street View. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like Google Street View, again, like for how long have they been doing that? For like 10, 10 years, years, 12 years? Yeah. And I feel like this sort of change, like this is Google Street View distilled down to, like, because remember those cars used to go around mm -hmm. and they had the giant thing on the top that mm -hmm. was more or less like the jaunt camera. And now it's down to this, and this is not the same kind of level of quality as that, but my God, this fits in your pocket. Yeah. It's amazing. And you can come back with that kind of immersion. I remember Casey Neistat did one of these at the, I guess it was Samsung. So he was testing out the Samsung 360 camera and he went to the red carpet at the Oscars or something. And he's walking along kind of with the thing on a selfie stick more or less, or some version of that. And so you see him, that's the default view, but you can spin it around in the player on YouTube or on Facebook. And eventually we're going to have this on our site as well, that we'd be able to do this scene. He's going to make upgrade our players so that we can actually do this. And you can turn it around and you can see 
everything that is sort of on all sides of him. And it was kind of uh, interesting. It was kind of fun. It was kind of cool. And you can see how in travel this is something that is um, not necessarily a game changer, but kind of a game changer. Okay, so here's my question, though, is, you know, we encourage people to go out and see the world, right? I mean, yes. I would assume that's one of our major goals is to get people out there. And, you know, some of our, our writers tackled this on our website recently that if you can take a virtual reality trip to Mars and you can take a virtual reality trip to the Great Barrier Reef or to Cuba or to anywhere else through your computer screen, do you still have to actually go to those places? Or are we, you know, are we encouraging people to just see them through virtual reality goggles? I think so. I think the idea is to give them a taste of what it's like and then to want more. So I kind of look at it as a way of like bringing the world to you, bringing a small part of the world to you and then kind of piquing your interest to see more. Um, that's the way I look at it. But I mean, I think it's really great. But it certainly doesn't replace the actual reality of. Yeah, you being just did there. it. Can it possibly, like, you were in Cuba and you're doing this, and you see the footage afterwards? Like, what's the relationship between those two? There's things? definitely no justice. Like, no, no comparison. <laughs> no comparison. Yeah. I guess it's true, right? It's it's one sense when you're when you're looking at it on your screen, and it's all five senses exactly. when you're there in the room, right? Especially in a place like Cuba, it's what you hear, it's what you smell, you know, it's what you taste. Otherwise, all you're doing is just looking at a scene. Yeah, I think Six Flags used to do commercials where it felt like you were, you know, on the roller coaster, and it kind of gave you a sense for what it might be like. But you certainly didn't feel like you were on the roller coaster. Yeah, it was just to make you go to that roller coaster. Exactly. But I think also there are cases in which, like, uh, whether you are a person who has like a fear of heights or or something, I think that there are uses for this that are going to emerge oh, yeah. that are sort of therapeutic or, you know, I'll probably never do base jumping. You know, I'm... I'll definitely you know, I'm, never yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I can base jump, like, I did it, actually, you know, in a demo, like, with virtual reality, and I don't have to actually risk my life to get at least a little tiny sliver of what that's like, you know, and I don't have to risk my family being, you know, indebted for the rest of their lives. Or <laughs> right. And I think there's a huge amount of educational utility for it, too, you know, yeah. for people who don't have the means to go somewhere yeah. or just unable to, you know, to have that, have some sort of glimpse into what it's like to stand on a street in Havana, you know, right, definitely. goes a long way. And um, even physical therapy, I've heard people are using it for therapy mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it's it certainly kind of, you know, across all platforms, Facebook just announced today that you're able to upload 360 photos onto Facebook. So, wow. you know, people are really taking into consideration this type of technology and, and making it easy for people. Yeah, it feels like we're in the middle of a transition from like it being a novelty sort of to it being something that's everywhere. Every day. Yeah. 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 No, I don't th- I think. And I think it's going to be huge for travel. I mean, imagine you're choosing a hotel room. You know, you sort of look at, oh, it's a queen large, it's a queen small, it's a king small, whatever, whatever. This, in the future, as this becomes more and more readily available and cheaper and cheaper, you're just going to sort of plant yourself in the middle of that room and decide whether you like how it's laid out or whether you don't and whether you like the decor or whether you don't. And you're going to get a feel for it that's very different than what you can get from photos today. It's funny you say in the future because a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you're going to tell me it's not so much the future. It's not so much the future. A couple of weeks ago, Best Western announced that they're working. Best no, I really. That's so off-brand, Paul. Well, hey, if they're, if they're the first movers, they're the first movers. So they announced they're partnering with Google to put basically street view of all of their rooms of all of their properties in North America on God, the, that's on so the internet. Smart. And so if you want to so look smart. at room, you know, whatever, 206 at the property, you can do that and you can do the 360 view and everything. And so it's, um, 
it's not really just the future anymore. And airlines, too. Mm. Uh, you know, I saw one of the um, big-time aviation tweeters the other day posted, a, a, you can see the first class of Air France mm. a, on Google Street View, and it's, boy, talk about inspiration. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you really want to sit in that seat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. even on Yelp, there's certain restaurants that you can go on and you can actually see a 360 drag, view of what yeah. it's like inside Don't you the feel restaurant. Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, Sebastian, you're right. Like, it becomes table stakes at a certain point. Yeah. It will no longer be okay that you just have like you know six different pictures of your yeah. whatever, your dining room. It's going to have to be this. And then it's going to have to be video and whatever, whatever. But... No, I and the the, the great the, news for content creators. Well, <laughs> but the thing that you just said that was the smartest thing of all is partner with Google Street View, right? Like get right into the thing that people are already used to for this. But it's not motion. Street View is not motion, right? Street View is static. Static. I think so. it's like three sixty images. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, give them a few weeks. <laughs> so. Dom, not to put you on the spot, but another thing that you've been playing around with lately and that you experimented with on this trip to Cuba is drones. Now, drones are in the news constantly, mostly for negative reasons, although in the tech space they're in for mostly positive reasons. But you had a chance to experiment with a drone in Mexico City, right? I Am did. I wrong? I did. You did. So DJI sent us over a Phantom 4 to experiment with, and uh, I met up with one of... What, sorry, so, what, yeah. what, what is that? Yeah, tell us what that is. A Phantom 4 drone is like this skeletal, white, unmanned aircraft. Okay. Um, how big is how, it? How big it's is it? It's a quadricopter, I, now, I'm right? I'm playing yes. dumb here because I, I tested one of these at South by Southwest this yeah. year. So they had a whole th- DJ. I had a whole thing there. So I'm, I'm pretending I don't know. <laughs> I would say, I mean, it's it's pretty much the size of it's like 18 inches to two feet wide yeah. yeah and it's and how many spokes like are on the thing like four or five spokes four four and each of them has a wing and it has a built-in flies. camera it has a built-in camera it can take photos videos and you can directly access it through your smartphone you can tell exactly what to do you control it with your smartphone yes on this remote control that's about the size of i mean i guess the remote control that you use with video games is about the size of that so Think Xbox controller. Yes. Xbox controller, but not Wii controller or Kinect controller. <laughs> no. Xbox. Not yet. That, don't you feel like that's next? Like, not yet, but yes. Like, totally. Go, well, it, go long. It already is, and we'll get to that in a second. So, it's yeah. already there. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've played with remote controls your entire life, it's pretty easy to manage um, and to control. But for me, it was kind of a, I mean, it's been a while, so it took a little time to get used to, but um, I met up with DJI's leading Mexico drone community. His name is Roberto, Mm -hmm. and he actually taught me how to fly a drone in Mexico City. So yeah, it's kind of one of those things that I didn't know was on my bucket list, but became on my, you know, (laughs) I I was able to cross it off. Um, (laughs) It was really interesting. I spent, I was there for about 10 hours as a layover, and I spent the entire 10 hours learning how to fly a drone. See, that's a story right there, right? What do you do on your your long layover in Mexico City? Learn to fly a drone with the leading drone pilot in Mexico (laughs) City. Now that's amazing. I would do that. Yeah, Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, It was funny because before we met up, he was like, what kind of shots do you, are you looking for? And, and I kind of sent him a few images that I liked. And he was like, yeah, those are, those are not the safest areas, but we can figure out a way to manage because, you know, one of those really beautiful shots of the markets and, and you know, aerial photography and videography is such a big deal these days. It was a lot of fun. I think I still don't feel completely 100% confident that I can 
for example, Facebook Live on a Phantom 4 by myself. But the um, Phantom 4 can Facebook Live, is that it right? It can. And they just updated their app a few months ago. So you can now Facebook Live from a drone. So it's pretty exciting. What a world. What a world. What a world. And, so what kind of video did you end up taking then? And, and can we see it on our site or are we still, we're still putting it together? There's still a few things in motion, but we can definitely get it up on our site in the next week or so. But we kind of experimented. We went across all of Mexico City. We went to a few markets. We went to a few crosswalks. It was interesting to see, you know, um, some of the busy streets of people walking and some of the architecture. And we kind of just went all over. It was a lot of fun. And did you, okay, so now that you've done it, would you pack a DJI 4 on your next vacation and take it with you? Only if my sole purpose was to go for, you know, creating content. I got you. I it's bulky. It's really bulky, and it comes in this big sort of, it looks like an icebox, like a mini icebox. DJI box. thinks it's the sexiest drone they've ever designed. Did you find what? it sexy? <laughs> it's pretty sexy. I'm not going to lie. When I'm flying, and I'm like, this is really cool. I'm, I'm really hard, cool no, right how now. How hard was it to control? It's not that hard. I would say it probably takes you two rounds of fl flying it in the air. Um, and they've made it really user-friendly. The updated Phantom 4 is much more user-friendly in that it can automatically land. It can fly back oh, to really? you. You, you like can say, the land you can hit, you can hit, send it home, and it comes straight back to you. Oh, my so God. Okay. It's got geo-targeting. It has all these really cool features that make it really user-friendly and easy to use. So I learned how to fly the Phantom 2 about... Two years ago. A lot has changed. A year and a half ago. <laughs> a lot has changed. That thing yeah. did not land on command. <laughs> you uh, had to land it you yourself. You had to land it yourself, and it was really hard to do so without destroying really? the drone. Yeah. yeah, and it has sensors, so oh if God. there's something in front of it, it doesn't go forward, and there's a lot of really cool features. In fact, cool when we were using it on a film shoot in Venezuela, we were in Caracas flying it around, and then suddenly the lights, you know, it has those four little lights that tell you different things, like mm -hmm. whether the battery's low. It went from full battery to zero battery and just started flashing lights, and then it just came crashing to the ground Ooh, from good. a long way up. I've it heard survived. a lot of horror stories survived, about people's drones dying yeah. and crashing. So, yeah. Do you guys know, maybe you don't know this, but is the Phantom 4 subject to the legal restrictions? That is it big enough to sort of fit into that category? I think it depends where. So mm -hmm. New York City, definitely. Yeah. Basically any remote control flying machine is subject to the the laws. The and FAA do you regulations. know where you're allowed to fly drones in New York? I don't know specifically, but there are like airfields essentially that uh -huh. are for kind of remote control airplane enthusiasts and drone enthusiasts where you're allowed to fly, but it's in a very select kind of yeah. field in Queens or something. I there's believe. a there's a lot of rules around it. You can't fly them around large groups of people, um, national parks or national really? landmarks. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Those Bummer. are the rules, and and I think the only place close to New York is, is somewhere in New Jersey, New Jersey where there's yeah. like this field where people take all their drones and, right. and So you and can look longingly and, like, that's such a New Jersey frame of mind, right? You look lo <laughs> longingly at New York. Yeah. I wish I distance. could film New York right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's also it's also very New York City though that it, there would be one place to fly and so there's always traffic there. Yes, right? of yeah. course. <laughs> but there drones are... banging into each other. <laughs> it's for safety's, it's for safety's sake. It's for safety's sake. They must all be here. Yeah, there's a lot of no-fly zones. Um, if you look in the DJI app, it actually tells you and gives you recommendations on where you can fly, where you you know, where you can't fly. But obviously, it's up to you to do your research as well. So yeah, wow. But you guys talk about how big these are, or or you know how mid-sized they are. But there are smaller drones, right? And, yeah. And things that are maybe you know easier to slip into a pocket when you're traveling. 
Yeah, in fact, there's one in development now. I don't believe that it's for sale yet, but they were raising funds for it. It's called the Nixie, and it fits around your wrist. So it looks around your wrist. You can wear it. What? So, <laughs> Say so that again. Around your wrist. Um, <laughs> so it's, I believe so. So it's around your wrist with a certain motion. It'll release from your wrist and go out a certain distance. Turn around and take a picture of you wherever you are. Oh my god! And like, then fly right back. I look back much to better you. from above. <laughs> there you go. So I am all about that. So like the promotional stuff around it is like people who are like rock climbing and they have like they're on some huge rock face and <laughs> they're hanging on one with one hand and then can just you know push what out their arm. What if you fling arm. just a little too hard? <laughs> <laughs> the drone takes a picture. Does it follow you down? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, they for call some it crazy footage. The boomerang drone. Yes, exactly. Right so it just comes you. right back to you after taking some epic photo of you hanging off of a rock face. Um, yeah. So that's like think there's it's kind of like 360 video where at first it became like you know a kind of hobby for super geeks and people who were just like really into aviation and things like that and filmmakers as well and now it's just becoming something that's like so ubiquitous and like it's going to be something that can fit around your wrist which is crazy do you know i'm trying to find this right now on the internet um how much the nixie costs i don't i don't believe they've i because they haven't released it yet so i'm not sure they've even announced that the phantom is actually i mean you know i don't know this is a lot but kind of not a lot depending on how you look at it if you were a person who used this thing a lot this would not be very expensive but it's uh fourteen hundred dollars it's thirteen ninety nine for the phantom four but i mean like you know again this completely changes the kind of photography that you can take if you are somebody who is a photographer or who is in the travel industry. That's a small investment to make. It's so interesting now that these products are out in the marketplace and they're starting to become more personalized and it's interesting and, and how they will evolve in a couple of years. Like how personalized will they get? Will I have my own drone that carries my baggage for me? You know, like those now, types see, of things. See, that would be nice. That <laughs> would be nice. A, a luggage I'm carrier. That's, that's the husband drone. <laughs> we updated a story recently about a robot at Geneva Airport which will carry your bags for you and check in your bags for you. Is it a flying robot? No, not yet. Then I'm not, not impressed. <laughs> if it was, it could just bring your bags to your next destination. Paul, you got... I feel like I, I got a list of things here that I was going to ask about. But you well, got to ask your questions. No, 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 because I feel like you got more interesting things in front of you. Oh, I, I just gonna... I just bring a lot of notes to the podcast no, to, to I, seem I, official. Yeah, I just <laughs> I, I I what do you got? What do you what are you most interested in about this pile of stuff that you got in front of you? One thing that we did mention really briefly in the magazine not too long ago is is something that I do think is a really unique product, right? There's a lot of in the technology space and particularly at the intersection of travel and technology, I think there's a lot of me too going on, but this thing is really interesting. And that's one of the reasons we wrote about it in our sort of far flung adventure issue. And it's called the go tenna. And essentially the go tenna is also, you know, it's about the same size as the 360 camera that we were talking about previously. You know, it's about the size of a candy bar and it is a add on antenna for your cell phone. And so the idea is, you give one of these GoTennas to your traveling companion, whoever that is, and you create your own two-site cell network. So the antenna pairs to your cell phone with Bluetooth and then creates its own network that communicates with the other GoTenna. So 
no matter where you are in the world and no matter how far away from a cell tower you are. Wow, really? You can text each other oh. and wow. stay in touch. And so we actually called uh, some of their customers. It's a relatively new product, but not brand new. And so um, there's a lot of stories from their customers about you know, what they did, where they went, who, you know, how it helped them on their vacation. Uh, and two things really stood out. One is on cruise ships, right? You go on a cruise ship with 6,000 other people. That's, you know, a thousand feet long. These are real numbers. And, uh, you know, it's hard to make plans or keep plans because your cell phone doesn't work on board. But you use the Gotenna and suddenly you're in touch with your, you know, your, your wife, your partner, whoever it is that you, you want to be in touch with. The other story was really fascinating. A couple that went to Angkor Wat, which is a huge site uh, and, you know, has poor service and they were able to stay in touch. They got separated. And normally, you know, it's sort of like, oh, we're separated. I'll have to see you at the hotel at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, And they were able to meet back up and experience some of that site together through this technology that put them in touch. And so Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a really cool thing. I don't think it works, you know for every trip on every kind of expedition that you're going on. But if you are going a far flung place and it is important to stay in touch with your traveling companion, which why wouldn't it be? Um, it's a great investment. It's like 200 bucks for the pair. For the pair of them. Yeah, exactly. That, that's pretty great. I feel like it's a great thing for families potentially. Yeah, it's you definitely know? for families. I mean, Give one think- to your teenage kid who's going to invariably get lost at some point. Yeah, I mean a huge theme park, you know, a national yeah. park. Um, one thing they talk about a lot is music festivals where you're mm. trying to meet up with your friend at a music festival. No, I'm at that tent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so it, it, it has the ability to keep you in touch, not just where there's no cell network, but also in a place where, say, the cell network is overwhelmed, you know, like South by Southwest, for example, mm-hmm. where, you know, you just don't have service because so many people are trying to use it. This is a way to establish your own network and kind of skirt that. So I thought that was a very cool product and something, you know, truly different. Yeah. It's like 99% of the reasons why you need connectivity anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. I actually got lost in Cuba. We shared a cab with a few people and they didn't drop us off on the location that we were supposed to be dropped off at. And our tour leader, he didn't. I mean, well, we didn't have access to internet or Wi-Fi, so we couldn't contact him. And so we were literally using the the bearings that we knew around us to figure out where our uh, Casa Particular was, which is a homestay. And we walked around for hours trying to find our place, and we couldn't connect with him because we didn't have Wi-Fi. We couldn't message him. Eventually, we you know walked about. 20 minutes to find a cafe and, and convince them to give us some Wi-Fi and, and was able to connect with him and, and figure out the address. But it was really scary. And it's funny, right? Would, that how, have how, wor- would these have worked in Cuba? Yeah, as far as I know. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a, they create a, an their expert own in, in, in telephones. But, right. but yeah, the, exactly. You're just communicating through their own network of these antennas point to point. And uh-huh. so it, it should work there just fine. Do you know what the... You might have mentioned this already. Do you know what the distance is? No, How far I, they need to be? I don't know? know off the top yeah. of my head the range. I'll look it up. What's it? Gotenna? Gotenna, exactly. So is it like an advanced walkie-talkie almost? It yeah, it's a like good it. way of putting yeah. it for yeah. sure. And it, and I think the other upside is that it works with the phone that you already have, right? You know, it works with the phone that you're already familiar with and your contacts are there and it sort of is a seamless back-end process instead of, you know, something else to learn how to use. Interesting. Yeah. What else you got, Paul? You know, well, there's actually a big news with Uber um, that we're covering on the site. Uh, yesterday, they released uh, scheduled rides, which is a huge deal, I think, for wow, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, if you've ever been, you know, sitting there trying to get to the airport and, you know, it says Uber is two minutes away. 
Five minutes later, Uber is two minutes you away. Watch right. it driving Five minutes, in the opposite direction. Right. Five minutes later, Uber is two <laughs> minutes away. A wrong so turn. now, so so the new the new um, and they're beta testing this right um, as as any good Silicon Valley firm would do. Um, so they've launched it in Seattle, and it's only for business travelers right now. But uh, I'm sure that they're going to roll it out to a, you know a wider audience. And the idea is is just that that you can book as far as 30 days out. Whoa. You know, I would like my UberX to show up at this time and take me to this location and. I, you know, it's another great asset for Uber, which, by the way, um, other than Google Maps, I think has become one of the biggest travel apps in the world because now anywhere you go or almost anywhere you go, you can, you know, skip a cab, not have to have change, not have to speak the local language and get a ride exactly to where you're trying to go. And that's a huge game changer for people. That's also the biggest pain, right? The transportation part, like actually being able to get there and get there on time. So Yeah, definitely. The scheduling thing is huge. Um, I have one piece of gear that I'm really stoked about that Uh-oh. I only heard about like yesterday. It's called Tile. I think it's only very recently released. Mm. Tile? So, yeah. No, Tile's been around for... Really? Yeah. Oh. Is this the luggage tracking Tile? It's the anything tracking. Anything tracking Tile. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. All right, t- so, t- tell people what Tile is. It's the thing... If it has been around for a while, it it's has. really dating the fact that, like, yeah, I'm totally out of touch. But well, I just found out about it. You've so been on the road with David Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's new to me, all right? And it's exciting to me. And it's it's the thing you, you're, you like, a great travel thing. craving and wishing for whenever you're, like, where the hell are my keys? I'm or dying to hear what it is. Where is my passport? <laughs> or where is my phone? So it's a it works over a Wi-Fi connection or Bluetooth where basically... You have a home thing that you can attach to your wallet or to your phone, a kind of transmitter. And it's tiny, right? It's tiny. And then you, they have small kind of nodes that you can attach to any of your belongings, your passport, your keys, that have GPS tracking capabilities on it and can also emit a sound if you wanted to. So if you're like, where are my keys? You can look in your phone or, or whatever your computer can tell you that it's in your house or not in your house. You left it somewhere else. And then once it's in your house... You can say, like, beep away, and it'll start beeping. And then you follow the sign or follow the sounds, and you find your keys or you find your passport or whatever else. The passport one yeah. is good. <laughs> I feel like I'm always like, where's my passport? Yeah. No, the keys awesome. is a good one, too, I think. So, yeah, that's one that I think I could use a lot because I put things down, and I, it's gone. The memory of where I put it is gone immediately. So. And when you're traveling, that's particularly anxiety-producing. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the end of it, it's like, you know, you find your passport at the bottom of your bag or something, yeah. you know? So this would take away all that anxiety before you refound your personal items. Okay. Tile. Tile. That's Paul. been around for 10 years. But no, <laughs> no, no. It's probably been around for like six months. Okay. I'm just throwing shade. Uh, Paul, what do you got? Um, you got like a stack of these yeah. things, man. Walk through them. Well, I guess I guess one other thing I'm excited about, and this is sort of, you know, w- we're joking about, is it in the future? Is it in the present? Uh, you know, is it already here? I think one thing that we will see in the future is um, something that I, that I learned about last month, which is a, a site, app, service. It, it's sort of all those things rolled up in one called Lola. And Lola is a, a new company from some of the people that started Kayak, and the idea there is to reinvent what a travel agent can be. And so here's how it works, right? You download their app and you send a request to, you know, your Lola through the Lola app. And you say something like, you know, I want to go to Chicago this weekend. I'd like to take a morning flight out of LaGuardia and I need a recommendation of a place to have lunch and a, and a hotel for the night. 
and this information goes to Lola's artificial intelligence, which is, you know, the new buzzword in, in any sort of technology outside of travel or, or in travel. Uh, and it will process that, forward it to one of Lola's team of real-life human travel agents who will then text you back and say, okay, I'm going to put you on this, you know, whatever. I'm going to put you on this Delta flight because you've previously told us that you like Delta. I'm going to recommend this uh, Mexican restaurant because you previously told us that you like going to new Mexican restaurants. And I'm going to put you in, you know, the Renaissance downtown because I know you're a Marriott points guru, right? And so they do all that. And then you just text back, say, oh, that sounds great. Book it. And they already have your credit card info. And so it's all taken care of. And then they forward you all the details. And so, you know, you see a convergence of a lot of sort of trends in technology that are going on here, right? There's artificial intelligence. There's interacting with the company through messaging, through text messaging. rather than Yeah, exactly. Rather than calling someone on the phone. Um, But then there's this kind of funny element, right? That it's like, that's what travel agents used to do and still do. And so there's this sort of great tension in the company, I think, between cutting edge futuristic technology and this old school idea of there's so much choice in the internet and there's so many options that all I want is just somebody to tell me what to do and where mm. to go. And so I think it's gonna be a really fascinating company to watch and and figure out, you know, are they gonna make be able to make it work? Are they gonna be able to make it work at scale? Uh, and how is it going to change the way people travel? Are we all going to get more spontaneous when you can just text Lola? You know, is it going to become like Siri or Echo or Well, that's what services? I was going to say. Is like when do they integrate with with Echo or Google Home or Siri or what? Like Siri is like bringing up the rear on that whole thing. But like eventually, <laughs> sorry Apple. Um, but you know, it, it, it's it, like can I sit in my living room and say, you know, I'm talking with my wife and we've decided like, yeah, we want to take a trip to Cuba. Like. Hey Alexa, can you book us a trip to whatever and and have it know all of those things and do all of those things? I don't think that you can do it right now. No, but no. give them six months. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure that you can. I mean, yeah. I think we've seen in the history of travel that you know the barriers to entry are lower and lower, and the sort of friction of a transaction, which is to say, how hard is it to get the trip that I want? That's getting easier and easier and easier. And this company seems well sort of situated to, to tap into all the things that are going on right now and really revolutionize the way that we're going to travel in the future. And, you know, I mean, we'll see if that actually happens, but I mean, Kayak was a game changer when it launched. Yeah. So there's some pretty good heritage there in terms of, of, of what this team is up to. Yeah. I have a question. How does NOLA know where you've booked before? How are they getting that data and that information? Well, you fill it in, right? So oh, when okay. you when you sign up for the service, you you have the opportunity and, and you know, to the hotel industry's credit that, you know, they're doing a great job with this too of, of understanding, you know, are you somebody who wants a down feather pillow? Are you somebody who likes being near the elevator? Are you somebody who loves points? Are you somebody who only cares about price? Um, so the more information you give over to the service, and, you know, this is true outside of travel as well, the more information you give them, the better they can sort of serve you with tailored recommendations. And so it's all about what you tell them ahead of time. And then, of course, they're going to look at your booking patterns and say, well, they have a tendency to do, you know, X or Y or Z and, I think, tend to suggest that stuff in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it comes down to, you know, I mean, obviously they're doing a good job of personalization, but trust is, I think, is going to be a big factor. Um, I think, you know, I've used products and, and platforms like Texrex where you can ask them like, where's the best restaurant in Chelsea where's the best Korean restaurant in Manhattan and they've been pretty quick it's actual human being that responds back to you via text message at, at the other end and it usually takes about 
two to four minutes for them to respond. So really? it's actually really helpful. Mm, right. But then there are some times when they recommend things and I'm like, oh, actually, that's not a Korean restaurant. Or actually, really? that's With not. Really? With Yeah. That's so, surprising. So it's interesting because, you know, that trust part is something yeah. that people are going to have to right. solve for. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring it up. And I agree with you 100% because I, I put this question to the team. You know, they came by the office to give us a briefing on this. And I said, look, you know, your, your example of a trip to Chicago, I get. That's pretty easy. But can you plan a week of hiking and surfing in Indonesia? Of course, you know, they said, yeah, no problem. Of course we can do that. But you do wonder, is it easier to, to handle a weekend, you know, domestically than it is to handle the sorts of trips that some of our readers are doing, whether it's, you know, a trek through Nepal or, you know, playing polo in Argentina. You know, those are difficult, complicated trips to plan. And is AI and a small team of travel agents based in, you know, outside Boston going to be able to handle that? We'll see. But I think there's two spectrums. There's... Um the chat bot and AI, and then there's also the actual human beings yeah, yeah. that can actually recommend these things for you. And I think it's kind of going to be the battle of the two um, and to see which one people rely on more. I mean, you're really literally putting your money, your time, your, you know, in people's hands. Your precious or in vacation AI's days. And yeah. Your precious and you're relying days. on Honestly, them. I worry that there's like, I don't know, maybe it's just like my technology paranoia, but that there's like some like element of we work with this hotel brand, so we're just going to say you should stay in the Marriott or wherever else, Chicago, because they have an advertising deal with us or something. Like, that's always stuff that's it's kind of scary for me. Well, yeah. there's that, and there's also, like, are they just Googling the thing that you were right. just asking them about? That I could do and not pay a commission or whatever. whatever they're paying. Yeah. Paul, I'm not going to let you go without talking about tablets. Because, you know, I've been talking about tablets a lot lately. Yeah, we have been talking about tablets a lot lately, uh, off the air. But um, there's there's two that sort of have my fascination right now. One is the Amazon Fire tablet, which is 50 bucks, And it, to my mind, is the, the ultimate. The Fire 7? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. The, the, it's super cheap. and 50 it's, bucks. Yeah. And it, wow. to my mind, it's just your safety net on a flight, right? Like maybe your TV doesn't work. Maybe your work laptop runs out of battery. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, you have this sort of $50 insurance policy that says you're going to be able to watch some movie <laughs> for a few hours and survive this flight. Oh and to me, that is totally worth it. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, it's the Google Pixel C, which was uh, incredibly, you know, sort of everybody hated it when it came out and not for, uh, you know, just made up reasons. The Pixel it's, C had yeah. these terrible hardware problems. The keyboard didn't work. The touchscreen didn't work, which if, it's, if you're a tablet and your touchscreen and keyboard don't work, you're not doing much right. But, uh, but, you know, Brad, you and I were talking about this, you know, off the podcast before that Google has pushed this firmware update, not to get too geeky, but uh, it seems to be working much better than it used to. And I'm really excited about the idea of being able to take a high-powered tablet instead of your laptop or two laptops on a work trip and being able, if you're on a short work or, or even leisure trip, to have a reasonable you know, computer at hand uh, that isn't sort of a, the huge burden that a laptop can be. So I'm, I'm excited to road test the Pixel C again for the first time. Yeah, and I'm working on a, I've been working on a piece for a while now where I've been testing that's basically sort of a how, how a can this tablet replace your laptop? And I've been testing both of the Apple things as well as a couple of additional ones like a Windows tablet that they have and also um, one from Sony. And, you know, the bottom line is that with the high end, which I think the Pixel C fits into with the software updates, 
certainly for the for the new iPad Pro line that I've been testing, both the nine inch and the twelve inch models, I think the answer is yes. Depending on your use cases, but if your use cases are not too esoteric and too intense, then I think you can run basic software on these things. And I think actually both the Pixel C and the iPad Pro point toward a future where the touchscreen and the keyboard integration gets more and more seamless. And you're talking about products that feel integrated across those two different input methodologies. Like you can see with the iPad Pro and the pencil and the keyboard, the keyboard case, which is different from the Pixel C's case, kind of radically different. I, the Pixel C's case is a very, very interesting kind of like moonshot for them. The iPad Pro's keyboard case is a little bit more conventional and a little bit more like the Microsoft one. But if you take the case, the tablet, and the pencil, it sort of feels like a new model that replaces the, the laptops like mouse, keyboard, screen kind of thing, and you, you blend these things together and it becomes a new interesting paradigm that's way more portable, lighter, fits into your your bag or your suitcase much more easily. And fits on the tray fits table. Fits on the tray table which much is the, more easily. The, the, so, the most important part. <laughs> one question, and I know we're trying to wrap things up, but I'm, I don't own a tablet, so I'm interested in the whole sort of value to cost relationship. Like how shitty is this Amazon Fire to cost $50? Like what what are the... <laughs> What are the things that it doesn't have, you know? They're making their money, I'm sure, off of all the content that you buy from them. Okay. It's, it's not the best tablet I've ever used by any stretch of the imagination, but it's perfectly fine if I just want to watch some movies on a flight. I mean, it's as good as any, you know, in-flight entertainment system I've ever right. used, except maybe the one on Emirates, which is... Absolutely bananas. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would say, I mean, I think we just described, we just talked about tablets that are at radical ends of a spectrum. I have the the Kindle Fire, you know, HD thing. It's not good for much of anything other than reading and watching movies, right? And if that's all you want to do, it's pretty It's pretty great. I mean, it like, seems like a good travel it's tablet. It's 50 bucks. Like, if it gets lost and you're traveling, it's not as much as a, of a problem as if you're really expensive tablet gets lost. Yeah, if you lose it, lost. like how sad yeah. are you? Yeah, exactly. You're like, it, it was an expensive lunch. Yeah, yeah exactly. whatever. <laughs> exactly. You know? But then you talk about the Pixel C, and the Pixel C itself is, you know, four or $500, and the keyboard is another 150 The iPad Pro is seven $800. The keyboard's another 150 You're talking about two different ends of the spectrum and the iPad Pro or the Pixel C are really, they're approaching laptop capabilities. Right. They can do things. And if so if you're on a work trip and you need to have that functionality, you need to work on spreadsheets, you need to work on Google Docs, whatever, the Pixel C or the iPad Pro are going to get you there much, much better. It's crazy to think that that, that Kindle tablet's going to do those kinds of things for right. you. It's just not. I've tried it. It, it sucks. It's just not going to do it. But read a book, watch a movie. Yeah, fine. No problem. This is what's interesting about the tablet market right now is that it, you're talking about just two very different ends of the spectrum and two different ends of a cost spectrum. Right. So, you know, you got to decide what you need to do. All right, let's wrap it up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. All you guys, thank you for coming here and talking. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast um, on iTunes. We are also on SoundCloud. And please visit us at uh, cntraveler.com. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and on YouTube. We are CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. We are very, very active on the Snapchat lately, so check us out there. It's kind of fun. Why don't we go around the table, tell the folks how to reach you. Let's start with you, Paul. I'm on Twitter at P underscore Brady, B-R-A-D-Y. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Seb Modek. 
I'm on Twitter at Dominica underscore Lim. You Instagram, Dom? No? No Instagram? Um, I use Instagram for a little bit more personal reasons. Okay. Yeah, you, can on, you can follow me on Twitter. Okay. Chat me. Okay. All so. right. I am at Bradrick, and that is it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend.